Welcome to the Dance Centre podcast. I am your host, Claire French, and I'm joining you from the traditional unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh peoples, also known as Vancouver, Canada. I'll be talking to dancers, choreographers and other members of the dance world here on the West Coast to find out more about their creative work and practices and to discuss what it means to us to be dance professionals today. Thanks for joining us. I am absolutely delighted to be joined by Gabriel Martin and Jeremiah Hughes of Company C or Corporeal Imago performance society i've seen some of their work recently and i'm just always enthralled by their background and just how they have how they're investigating concept with their aerial dance but also just what they've achieved in their lives <laughs> so i'm going to start with um gabrielle martin who's um, an aerial and contemporary dance artist choreographer and artistic producer who's performed over 1400 shows internationally we will be drawing on that information throughout this uh podcast and so i'm going to save some of the highlights <laughs> and we'll hear from gabrielle herself but she is extremely well awarded. Uh, she has a degree from Concordia University. She's been performing and presented um, all over the world. Uh, from 2011 to 2015, Gabrielle Todd full-time with Cavalier of performing aerial rope, bungee trapeze, bungee dance, and harness dance numbers. And in 2015, she began working with Cirque du Soleil as part of the creation of Taruk, the first flight, and was also a principal performer with that company until it closed in 2019. We will hear about all of the rest. I'm just going to move to Jeremiah quickly, but not to pass over you, my dear. Jeremiah Hughes began his training in competitive dance at the prestigious Canadian dance company in Toronto and after a decade of competing internationally and representing Canada on the world stage he enrolled in the interdisciplinary Randolph College for the Performing Arts in Toronto where he expanded his craft with acting singing and stage combat He's also been a featured soloist and So You Think You Can Dance and So You Think You Can Dance Canada. And he has also worked in Cirque du Soleil and on the production of Taruk. And we will find more about this later. They are co-directors of Corporeal Imago. And um, we are going to be talking to them about that company, the origins of that company and their uh, now their residence here in Vancouver and also their up-and-coming work throws in that will be on at the Dance Centre. We've also had the pleasure of seeing a small showing of that through the Dance Centre. But without further ado, let's hear from them, shall we? Enough of my voice, Gabrielle and Jeremiah. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for taking this time to talk with me. Hi, yeah. Thanks for inviting us to chat with you. It's really exciting for us. Hi, Claire. Hi. Yeah, and we'll just acknowledge that we're chatting with you um, from the traditional unceded territories of the Musqueam, the Squamish, and the Tsleil-Waututh, where we're privileged to be working with Company C or Corporeal Imago. There you go. You got Corporeal Imago. So yeah. now we all know what you're <laughs> It's very important. Now we have no excuse. Thank you so much. Okay, wonderful. So we've got so much to talk about, but we would love to start in some ways, uh, what you think is your beginning? What would you like the listeners to know about your beginnings in dance? Maybe not necessarily training, maybe in relationship to what you would consider key stage of your career. Well, I mean, interesting. I, I when people ask, like, okay, where, when did you start dancing, or what was like your, like, why did, how did you find dancing? Typically, I kind of have the same story, which I enjoy. Uh, when I was eleven, my mother remarried. I got my dad. And so at their wedding, 
I'm 11 years old. They have a huge dance floor out and a DJ. And I went out and kind of got on the dance floor for one of the first times in my life. And I was out there till 1 a.m. just dancing my heart away, realizing that this is something that I really connected with and really enjoyed doing was just this practice of embodiment. And so I was eager and happy to kind of pressure my parents for the entire following summer. Like every day I'd be like, I want dance classes. Okay. And the next day I want dance class. I want to be good at this. Yeah. I played a bunch of sports. I was a really very physically invested person. So at 11, I was like, I want to dance, which was a, a bit of a rude awakening when I first came to my first dance studio. And I realized that everybody I was training, everybody my age started when they were two. So it was, that was my beginning was at my parents' wedding. Love it. And I think just because I do know Jeremiah quite well, <laughs> I think an important part of your story is also how like that was the place that you found like your, your confidence and kind of your second home, which I think is really well, beautiful. That's where, so at that place that you said, the prestigious Canadian dance company, Alan Lupian, uh, and of course, Don Lupian, but particularly I had a really strong connection with the faculty there and I went from being an 11 year old to going, I kind of want to dance, but I don't know how, I have no idea what I'm doing. And my, I didn't have family that danced or in the arts. And then I was able to, within about five, six years, start competing to represent Canada on a national level. So it was just, they, they really do talk about the importance of having good teachers and good mentors and good coaches and what that can do for a child. And I got, I've, the more I've traveled around the world, the more I've come to realize how fortunate I was to have that studio come into my awareness and to be lucky enough just to be at the right place and right time. Because yeah, now those guys are all doing huge TV stuff across Canada. Anybody who's watched like the next step uh, TV show for kids uh, has watched my home studio. That's the same company. So that's, uh, I'm very fortunate to have had such a rigorous training. <laughs> it was very intense, uh, but driven around the idea, not of like technique first, but passion and performance first. And that was where I found my connection. So great. It feels like it kind of channeled your competitive spirit too from your sports. I mean, kind of I'm hugely competitive <laughs> and I like, I, I, which is to my own detriment, but also the reason why I've gotten where I've gotten. I was able to make it be like, no, I'm going to perform to my absolute best to win versus it be, uh, I must point my toes that much harder. So it was the right environment for me. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. And Gabrielle? Yeah. Well, I really came into my physical practice through sports first. Um, I think I, you know, was enrolled in ballet, like almost with like a lot of young children. Um, and it really wasn't for me, that type of physicality. Um, but having like an intense physical practice was, um, has always been really integral to, to who I am. And then through sport, I came to circus. Um, it's not actually through ice hockey. I came to fire dancing. It doesn't necessarily make sense, but you know, as a teenager, the kind of team sport environment just wasn't aligning with my interests. I was hanging out with hippies in the park and wanted to spin fire. And then through that, I found a channel to perform, actually. So it's more performance that brought me to dance, physical performance. But it was less about training in the dance studio and more about having early experiences of being able to perform for an audience and what can transpire in that space. And that is kind of what then, you know, catapulted my career. When I was in my late teens, I saw Akram Khan perform uh, Rush, one of his early works in like 2000, 2001 at The Culture. 
And that was a pivotal moment for me where that physicality on stage and also because, you know, his integration of uh, classic Indian dance with contemporary to me just spoke to me in a different way than the work I'd seen before, which actually I hadn't had a lot of opportunity before the Culture's Youth Program enabled me to see work for, for really uh, for like $2. So a little shout out to their youth program. But yeah, and then that kind of catapulted me. I started to study uh, more like release techniques. So body mind centering with Jennifer Mascal, uh, contact improv at EDAM. And, and then from there, I just realized that I wanted more to have more capacity in my own body and more tools to be able to express myself physically. And that took me to Montreal to study at Concordia, partly because it was a program that focused on creative process, but also because it was the only one that would take me because <laughs> I didn't have any like <laughs> ballet or content, like, you know, years of technique behind me. And then I also studied aerial uh, circus or aerial dance forms um, independently in Montreal because it's, you know, such a incredible mecca for that work. So that was kind of parallel. And that's a little bit of my, my trajectory. Do you remember when you were training with Jennifer Maskell and Peter Bingham, Maskell Dance and Edam. When, what, what time frame was that? Yeah, that would have been the early 2000s. I went to Concordia in 2006, so probably from 2000, 2001, you know, through 2005, that kind of era. Great. So great. And so how did you, how did Cirque come up for both of you? I'm jumping maybe a little bit, but I, I feel like when I when I was in England, um, before I kind of knew about Canada, just in general as a you know, I knew what the dance community or what the dance world was, and before I even thought of coming here to train myself, I learned about Cirque. And when I went to my first Cirque show on the outskirts of Toronto, um, Orange was sponsoring it. That time frame you may remember. I, I saw the show and I cried like a baby because it felt like a part of my performance life and my art life that I had not yet been able to uh, reach or touch. Um, and it was Kidam actually at the time, and there was just something about the the narrative, the literalness of it, and the the scale of it that just kind of destroyed me <laughs> in that moment and it was also so beautiful and it was it made every it made me think that everything was possible in performance in some form um and so it really like it holds a very special place in my heart but i'm wondering how you two found Cirque or how it found you or however how that worked because my experiences of, of it is unforgettable just as an audience member spectator but I mean I also sought it out you know I also went made sure I went to see a live show and I've seen several since but and that initial experience of it has one off I've become just as interested in the tech people climbing the poles at the side of the stage so I love going to see the see it from the restricted view angles because you know as I'm kind of becoming more more as an artist and more involved in process and those things and more interested in that aspect watching how people work just at all all the ways in which a performance comes together through all of the different ways that people are working is what excites me now so it's kind of switched it's kind of an inverted thing but um what was your what's your either pull to Cirque or uh, what was your uh, draw to it I think I'll jump in just because I Kidam interestingly was the first Cirque show that I saw probably back around the same time like 2000 for me the 
when I was about 18. And uh, actually, just a little shout out, Franco Dragon, who uh, directed that show, just passed away two days ago. And he is very important for a lot of what we represent with Cirque du Soleil because he um, directed a lot of the early shows and I, I agree that show was really profound for me and I actually I think it planted a seed seeing the aerial performances specifically in that work planted a secret dream inside of myself that I didn't you know acknowledge to the rest of the world and barely to myself until many years later but that you know like for so many people Cirque du Soleil really did offer that gift of one just like showing what circus can do but also I think because it brings I think like new illusions and new um they work so much with fantasy especially that show and and a lot of their early works which you know in our kind of in the contemporary world of circuit or of dance and theater and the kind of postmodern movement with the hyper realism i think it's something that sometimes we miss um and i know for me that draws me to circus and especially that that kind of circus work that i've seen you know the more contemporary that bring you into this fantastic world Uh, and i would also describe it as visual theater which is something that we um talk about our work lying at the intersection between aerial circus, contemporary dance, and visual theater. And I also just, you know, to say, I had mentioned how I started out with circus, kind of exploring performance through circus and then moving to dance in my own trajectory. And I think that circus, there's something accessible. There was something accessible about circus for me in the sense that I could go out there and perform with, you know, my hula hoop skills, my fire breathing skills that are skills, but, you know, I could, I could, express myself in in performance without having you know oh well you need like 15 years of technical dance training behind you before you can get on a stage and so there's something quite accessible about that and also how circus is a kind of at the intersection you know um, the physicality is so key but it's also more theatrical than dance I think also allowed me to express the part of myself that you know I always think that if I wasn't a dancer I would be a theater artist even though there's there's such proximity but often also a a large difference in terms of the type of work you do as an artist and the type of training and experience you have on stage. So I could say a lot more about circus, but I'll let Jeremiah do no, some talking. Fine. No, I, I remember seeing my first uh, speaking just uh, in specifics to Cirque du Soleil because I didn't have much ex- uh, exposure to other forms of circus leading uh, for a very long time. So I remember uh, the, the big tents would come through Toronto once a year. It's where I grew up and my, my family would take, me and my brother to go and pretty much once a year we'd see a show and I remember I think one of the first ones I saw was Corteo and it was I I only know that now because of years later going I have these visions just stuck in my head of these beautiful scenes that I have to be like okay there's these beds but and there's this, this thing with a chandelier and it took me being actually in the company and knowing the entire breadth of their work to go it was that show that was the show that it first got me and for particularly it's it was just that the work was so beyond a scale and was realized so much further than the stage that it was on. And I had never seen work that was bigger than the venue. And the venue itself was a tent. And it was like the, just walking up to a tent like that, you would think, oh, my God, this is like just the spectacle of coming to, to this thing is the cool thing. I get to go inside a tent. And then by the time you leave, you're like, nope, that was the show. And it was bigger than anything else I experienced. So that was probably the thing that has like sat with me the most. Then later through training, uh, I picked in the Canadian dance company, I picked up like tumbling skills, some acrobatic skills. And then I traveled and I was working in like Orlando and theme parks. And I picked up some creaturey kind of movement from shows. And then I'm living in in, uh, Las Vegas. And 
I mean, I've been auditioning for Cirque on and off and been considered for roles a few times for like shows like Who's uh, what have you. And it was really wonderful to make a uh, connection with the casting team and like some wonderful directors, Nicola Montage, like there's some wonderful uh, dancers who are now facilitating other dancers and works to be as rich as they are, but they, they'll never be called out in a podcast, but they're wonderful <laughs> people. So it was this, uh, an ongoing conversations. And then eventually it, you just, I was one of those types of people that was kind of good at everything. Because I, I never specified, I was never just a tap dancer, I was never just a hip hop dancer. And then eventually I started getting the opportunity to do some auditions and being in the room, being a dancer who then could tumble, being an a, a acrobat who could dance kind of energy. Uh, I bailed me a few roles and one of them was, I had the casting director be like, hey, um, we, uh, we have this amazing role for creation for Cirque du Soleil. Uh, you want to send your aerial net, aerial chain, aerial pole, all these like a crazy list of all the different things that I was like, I looked at it and said very clearly, I've auditioned for them enough times and I have a very good relationship. I'm always so honored when they ask, but I don't do any of these things. So here's what I'll do. I'll put out my best video. I'll say with a, with a gracious energy of a thank you. Thank you for considering me. Here's me failing at these different things you asked to see. And here's a couple of things I'm good at. And they ended up saying that they wanted to see more, which absolutely surprised me. But uh, then I took that second video even more seriously and sent it in. And um, through the process of working on our show that we were, that we actually met on, Turuk, uh, Turuk the First Flight, it was a co-collaboration with James Cameron's Avatar and Cirque du Soleil coming together to create one massive immersive video projected world. So we took over entire arenas. We had it at roughly 8,000 people uh, a night, 8,000 people a show, two shows a night, six nights a week, or, or six, uh, maybe six, six shows a week or up to 12, up to 10 sometimes. So we really packed those houses and it was a video projection of the entire ice arena from the uh, from the edge of the ice to the blue line, we had a massive video projected world that interacted with us as we moved in the space. The video projections were mapped off of our movements. And so we had microphones and we had the given the space, but it also meant they're like, cool, now you're going to go climb this amazing rope and you're going to go and do these things. And myself had never really had experience with those elements. So funny enough, back when I was first joining the cast, I had turned to somebody I had good chemistry with and who I respected. I just turned to Gabrielle and said, yeah, these coaches are expecting me to do this really big thing on stage. And I'm terrified. Uh, what do I do on my breaks? How do I train? How do I train? She gave me a bunch of exercises. And after two weeks of vacation, I came back and I actually... I, I wasn't falling off the rope at massive height. So that was pretty cool. And uh, then eventually we started making that a little bit of a collaboration. And we can get into all that later. But yeah, mm -hmm. it was actually through my work with Cirque that I found Ariel because again, just being a bit of a jack of all trades and picking up skills as I go, oh, I'm in this show, I'm a ballroom dancer. Oh, I'm in this show, I'm a crump dancer. In this show, uh, I need to learn how to do Ariel. So then all of a sudden having a pretty high level Ariel coach and pretty high, high level Ariel training for a few years, now I'm an Arielist. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely and and it's all infused so much with all of this other uh, experience i think your work i think that's what's you know so Im important and ex exciting about that is um for the listeners who may not know you will uh, you know kind of be rewarded <laughs> from from their their training and all of their all of these experiences that they're talking about in their shows um i, I think conceptually and also content wise but when I, mean, I haven't seen everything you've ever done but um but I feel very confident in saying that <laughs> so thank you 
for talking about Cirque like that and uh, and kind of sharing those uh, details. It, it's like it's it's special to me to hear all of this and also a little bit of the audition process as well for you and how different it is for each person and when they go through those audition things, how important it, it is to make connections, right, as well. I actually had, like, I got to say, the audition process for me, at least in Toronto, was, like, so wonderful uh, because they they cut it down. They, 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 there's the, with Nicole Montage, she cut it down to four people after, like, two days uh, out of, like, hundreds, which sounds brutal, and it was. And they'd be doing, like, a ballet pass, and they'd have ballet dancers go and leap across the space, and they do a beautiful jeté, and they get cut. And there, and I, and I later was able to ask questions. I was like, "What the heck? Why would you like?" That was clearly the best jeté in the room, maybe like or one of. Like, why did they get cut doing the thing they were good at? And Cirque was like, "Yeah, no, we know they're good at that, and we also saw that they weren't good at other things. So if they're not good at the thing that they're good at, they're not like they weren't world level at that one thing." So my mind was being boggled because I'm like, I have to follow like national ballet dancers and I have to cross the space, and they just got cut. Okay, well, it was nice being here, but then by the end, it was this. They end up taking the entire second day just to do like a long workshop with the dancers to really see what they could kind of harness from there. And it's fun, too, because that was like 10 years ago. And so like the, the audition video pops up as like something that a certain casting video ever occasionally. And I get to see all the people I was doing stuff with and see how they're all doing some pretty cool things, too, now. And it was very formative. It was some of like this is early auditioning for me before I even had roles in shows. And so it was just that like having people not just try and like figure out who I was, but take the time to nourish something else too in an audition was, um, it was a unique thing that I was spoiled to have early on. Mm. Yeah. So great. Gabriel, do you um, want to share anything about your, uh, it doesn't have to be Cirque related, but maybe some key influences or key stages of your career like that, like roles particularly maybe, or um, experiences traveling that uh, have really left a mark on you for your work? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you talk about traveling because I was looking at, you know, you sent some questions in advance. And and so one of them about, yeah, key kind of events wasn't really related to performance, but does, you know, affect who I am and therefore the work I create, which is, uh, you know, when I was in my mid-teens, I, I traveled to Zimbabwe, which is where my father lived at the time, where my that side of my family is from. And it was a really formative experience for me because it was a moment where I understood how fluid identity can be. You know, having grown up in Vancouver, I, at that point as a teenager, I d- identified as uh, Black and I was from a low-income family. And then when I went to Zimbabwe, the context I was in identified me as white. And I was with a, you know, in my family there is colored. My family there was um, middle class. But what does it mean to be middle class in an, in an economy that in a developing nation that is so impoverished? Um, so all my understanding about like class and race were kind of flipped on their head. And that, I think, has affected me in the sense that in my own work, I'm less interested in expressing my own sense of identity or identity politics in my own work, um, because I feel like, you know, whenever I start to talk about identity or to reflect, I just, I feel like, you know, it's so um, context-based. And um, yeah, so that's, that was a really formative experience just in terms of who I am and, and therefore also affects my work. And then, yeah, I mean, I would also talk about auditioning interestingly I know that was part of the last question sort of but you know the the experience of well and joining these major companies so in 2011 I I joined Cavalia but not after auditioning like 
it was my fourth audition that I got it. <laughs> Not after <laughs> failure is a big theme in my career and in my experience, a humiliating failure, <laughs> like it is for many people though. But I think when I first got on that show, I was able to acknowledge kind of um, my secret dreams. I had mentioned how this the secret desire had been planted from having seen Kidam at that point almost 10 years prior. Um, and I think at that moment I was like, oh, okay, maybe maybe I can manifest my my dreams. And then I think I I embraced my capacity to will things into being from that point. And so that was a uh, a big event. There's and then there's several other um, events in terms of like our work together. What kind of sparked that and the development of our company? Yeah, I will say just that her journey is like she's a very clearly I should think highly of the person that I've chosen to be in partnership with. But like her journey is very inspirational of like how hard she worked at from such an age. So I actually teach I teach youth in circus right now, and a lot of uh, the the typical demographic is young women and. I just hold her on a pedestal to be like, yeah, you can start, you can start later. And if you have like the level of drive and realism about what it takes and really setting those dreams, you can really, it actually is possible. I started at age 11 and I always considered myself to be a late start. And I couldn't imagine people reaching kind of the stages I had later than that in life, uh, starting uh, a career in dance later in life. And I was already peers with clearly we met on the job but as peers with Gabrielle respecting her greatly and then it's only through like getting to know her deeper I was like wait you, you you're like so much uh you started so much later and you had these experiences and I'm like oh this is incredible what you've been able to accomplish so clearly I should think highly of the person I've chosen partnership with but sincerely I do <laughs> yeah well the thing I'm getting from this as well is that is is experience like you say failing at things and failing more than others but that's because you've you've been willing to experience so much and put yourself into a position to be able to not just learn from those you learn from them inevitably but put yourself there <laughs> i mean it's it really is incredible yeah well i mean talk about delta bray that way then delta bray in edinburgh Oh. Yeah, failure on the theme of so, failure. On, on the theme of <laughs> failure and failing forward. Let's do it. Yes, let's talk about that. <laughs> well, I'll give the preface, which is, you know, when we talk about the, the kind of inspiration for our company, we were both at a dance intensive, Delta Bredanza in, in Spain, you know, taking classes. And, and this festival has a lot of circus and dance um, classes and then in lots of performances. And we were seeing so much work and we were seeing... Um, that's where we kind of really understood that our interests as as choreographers or creators really align. We were seeing a lot of work where artists were doing so much and not necessarily saying a lot. And that's something that we could identify with, too, having been, you know, our careers have been mostly in entertainment, like, you know, trick based. OK, how how impressive are your oversplits, this kind of stuff. So it is, you know, we totally could understand how how easy it is to fall into that mentality. And then, uh, yeah, so that's kind of where our interest started. And then we we did create the first version of our our work, Limbs, which which we are so grateful for. Uh, the uh, Isadora Award was uh, awarded to us for that work, which was such an incredible affirmation, specifically because of the journey we were on with that piece. And as creators, we took an early version to Edinburgh. We took an early version. <laughs> we took. We took. Okay, so. We closed our Cirque du Soleil show in 2019, and it was in June. 
point is, is that within, I think we closed on a Friday, we flew back to Montreal on a Saturday, we were teching on a Tuesday in uh, Montreal Complement Cirque, the Ultra Cirque, we were like a part of the festival, but we hadn't even been able to run a full pass of the work because we've been living on tour. We created this work backstage at Cirque and in like random gyms along through Europe. So then when we finally got like to Montreal, we we're like, okay. It makes sense conceptually, but we haven't been able to fully run all the scenes for technical reasons in the spaces we've been in, have we been provided in the past. So here we go. And then they're like, oh, good news. Your shows are so sold out that we're going to sell your um, your tech show. Like your tech run is we're going to bring all the presenters to that one because we couldn't fit them in the other shows. And we're like, that's terrible. <laughs> so we jumped in. So that was an ego death. And then we took a couple weeks off because we were going to Edinburgh right away. We already had our deposits in. We had to do all these things way out. Took a couple weeks to go, oh, my God, are we going to just, like, gut this entire show and, like, rebuild it? And we're like, no, we have to stay true. We actually like what we're doing. We just need to, like, realize it further. So we just we went back into a little bit of creation time at um, the, Centre, the Centre de Creation mm-hmm. in um, Dordogne. Uh, mm-hmm. And it jumped over to Edinburgh. And uh, proceeded to do a show every night, except we didn't know that there were some like kind of cultural dark nights that people take because it was our first time there. So people like, oh, yeah. Oh, you're going to work on the dark day. And we're just there like getting our costumes on going, I guess so. Um, And we absolutely ran the gauntlet of being our own flyers, being on the front lines, getting the feedback, developing the show, watching the show every night and being like, "Okay, we could do this better. We could do this being our own dance captains and giving notes and ego death, ego death, ego death for about a month. So if we hadn't gotten it as artists throughout our entire training, we definitely got a condensed version of it for an entire month. And But what came from it became pretty strong. Yeah, I mean, the piece just wasn't ready. You know, we were so eager to create. We were so, we needed, we were parched for creative expression that wasn't the same show we'd been doing for four years. And, you know, I think both of us had a certain artistic depth that even though we were playing principal characters in that show, we just felt, you know, it wasn't the theater that we wanted like to, to be part of in terms of the depths we wanted to go with our characters on stage and whatnot. So, you know, that piece was born from that and then it just wasn't ready. And so we, we, you know, presented it for 25 shows in Edinburgh when it wasn't ready and had people walking out every night. But then we, we did end up coming back to Vancouver and reworking it and, you know, many, an evening by ourselves as performers and choreographers, not recommended. Um, (laughs) You know, this is the two of us in our own little bubble wondering why we were doing it. And then there's just, there's a lesson about perseverance there, I suppose. And then also, and, and seeking knowledge where you were missing it because in that time I did a program in dramaturgy and, you know, Jeremiah and I being in partnership, we would talk about dramaturgy every night and talk about, you know, what that meant. And that's nothing that either of us, had really studied before. And so that gave us kind of a new perspective with which to approach it. And and we were very rewarded by how much it touched the people who saw it. So that was a huge um, affirmation. That's great. I wonder if your company is also a little bit of a freedom from character, from having to take on a character and that's part of a kind of narrative or a theme or a story. So you kept hold of themes and concepts and learned so much from that in terms of artistic vision, which I think is really great, but then also being able to kind of 
just you know facets of you as people in the work as opposed to feeling like when you mentioned depth of character you know it's like more depth of your characters as human beings perhaps in the work that you have now i i noticed that connection um but discovering that in edinburgh is a the whole thing in itself. <laughs> so yeah. I've been to Edinburgh Festival many, many times. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Oh, many, yeah, many stories, right? Yeah, yeah, many, many yes. stories of that place. In fact, one of my favorite all-time shows ever in my life, I saw at 10 o'clock in the morning at, a, at the Edinburgh Fringe. It was generally better productions, and they were a, they're a mime company. Cool. Um, but from the Jacques Lecoq school, all of them were trained in there. And it was on at 10 o'clock in the morning and we saw it by accident. We saw it before breakfast by accident. And it's one of the Amazing. best shows I've seen in my life. So there you go. That place yeah. is just packed. It's crazy yeah. how the city just transforms. And it was our yeah. first time there and we had heard wonderful things and like heard the heard about the energy and then we're just thrust into it and just trying to like catch the running treadmill. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. That's so great. Okay, so we've we've talked a little bit about your collaborative endeavors, maybe how you met, maybe and how that's um it's lovely to hear your collaboration uh forming and the work that you're doing. It's a very natural kind of introduction to you two. Is there anything you'd like to say like how did it become formalized as a company? Did it become formalized? Is that like part of the dramaturgy stage or was it pre-Edinburgh or yeah, how did that happen? I say formalized, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah, like <laughs> we are now a society. <laughs> we, um, one of the great things, so we'd been living on the road while well, on the same show for four years, and I'd been on the road for four years before that. Four and a half plus creation. I always say five. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. And, and then we left tour and we were kind of, you know, floating in the wind trying to find how, how and where to anchor ourselves. Um, we tried. Las Vegas and then COVID hit and then we tried Montreal and then we ended up here like all within that crazy you know 2020 and and one of the things that we've been craving which is so special that we have now is a team of collaborators and that's what you know was missing before we knew that it's not ideal to perform in your own work I mean to both be performing in our own work, doing a duo with like, you know, doing the tech and the promotion all ourselves, but it was just a nature, like a circumstance, you know? And so now we have this, we're starting to establish this incredible community of, of collaborators with whom we're working with on Throw, which is the piece that's premiering at the Dance Center November 17th to 19th. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I think that's, you know, there's we've incorporated that happened last year, and then the other kind of formalizing, I would say, is is establishing this this community of collaborators. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, uh, we we felt very capable of like clearly we could make it the two of us alone together could take a show and take it to Edinburgh. We could find successes, ego death, and some success, but we were able to do that, and we were proud of ourselves. But then this becomes a thing of like, yeah, but if you want to do more, like we just we hadn't even been able, we were living in hotels. We didn't have anywhere to set roots and to really build community, have anything like like-minded people. Cause all the people we had been traveling with were people that our bosses had, uh, had decided for us to become family. So here we're able to actually reach out and find amazing costumers, lighting design, uh, composers, dancers, and then like collaborators like the dance center and other environments that were like where we're so grateful for the resources, but having that like-minded people who believe in us, people who we believe in, and then able to kind of go into the studio. I mean, we were just in the studios the last couple of days and just feeling, 
inspired. We took a small break, which uh, because we we're just coming off of maternity leave, uh, a little maternity we're break. Coming into coming in. Yeah. She's, she's going into maternity break, and I was coming out of paternity. So awesome. Point is, is um, we had our first rehearsals back. And we had a little bit of time away, and it felt like home because we have dancers who we really appreciate, respect, and trust, and value to have in the space and able to get back into with now with our, our composers music and we already have the costumes we know our lights we see the world and so feeling incredibly inspired and so it's like oh man we haven't done this in a couple months all right let's hop back in the studio and going oh, it's better than it was even before it's so good <laughs> yes well a lot's happened as well for you too we, well we yeah we're trying like, new oh, things like babies <laughs> yeah we just had a baby a little baby loic is seven weeks old yeah so another creative project of ours (laughs) Um, I did want to just hop on that train of thought in terms of you know collaborators and the community you're part of because I think one of the things that brought us together you know we're partners in life as well as in creation but when we were working um in Cirque we were two of the only members of a like 38 member cast whose formative background was primarily dance and so that's there was something about that that drew us together in terms of our approach to the work as well, because I think we were two of the people who treated the stage as a sacred space. And that is, yeah, I think a lot of people we were working with came from more gymnastics or sport. And so that kind of that, that, that belief in performance as ritual and a, a ritual practice and a, a pra- like a space where you can transform yourself and where communion can be experienced. Like I think for both Jeremiah and I, it's like a spiritual practice as well. And so I think that's also what drew us together was how serious we took it, even though it's play, you know, like we, the, yeah, the, the sacredness of that practice and that space. Yeah. We, um, uh, there was a different vibes within the cast. There was like a, some people I would refer to like one dressing room as a locker room and one as a dressing room because it's okay. People had different reasons for being there and their bosses thought it was okay. So that was in my position at that time to correct. But for us, like it was like, it's a hugely about catharsis and about like embodiment and about growth. Like there's so many things that you can channel, you can actual channel divinity through yourself and like try and become something on stage, especially when you're having the energy of 8,000 in a spotlight and you have your script is literally have an emotional, uh, spiritual experience on stage and you are given the space to do so. It's like, yeah, I can find that. I can find that pretty quick. And it's a wonderful practice to have. So it was an absolute blessing and a gift that we really were present to and took it um, took absolute advantage of every opportunity we had to play those kinds of roles and then in doing so just recognizing each other's commitments strengths and who we were as people kind of ended up having us just magnetize and gravitate to each other and that's why we said like that delta bro is so interesting because until then we had worked in very like we'd seen a couple shows on like, online and we had like been in our own uh, show and spoke about the process of our own touring show but then in watching other people's works and watching like so much work and being in such an artistic environment for a while we really had an opportunity to see the other facets of each other and the dimensions and really notice that we have aligned values so just along what you were saying i think what's i'm just looking at your description of the company and how you chose to write your description and the word disenchantment really stands out and um, because i think that helps it's so intentional actually as a kind of the enchantment of Cirque and the enchantment of all those worlds but to to own that and to kind of honor that at the same time but the disenchantment is actually 
you know, also speaks very strongly to the direction that you have chosen that. So disenchantment in terms of almost to me, it connects to ritual or connects to that idea of sacred space because you're not always enchanted. You're not always in that zone of enchant being enchanted. It's a process in itself to to experience that. And then the dis is extremely important in that process of, you know, that is that almost like the other extreme, but it still very much speaks to this, the scale and the size and the kind of and your and the weight almost of uh, what's behind the company in a good way, the theatrical weight significance that's behind the company. I think that's really I've, I found a real connection to that. Yeah, yeah. I think we also talk about our work kind of expressing contemporary tragedy or being of contemporary tra- tragedy, because I think, you know, we're living in tragic times. <laughs> and so there's, you know, potential for catharsis there in terms of acknowledging that on the stage, um, in terms of exploring exploring tragedy. And we also have talked about our work as an opportunity for us to explore like the shadow side of the human experience, um, having worked in entertainment for so long and been all about like <laughs> the, you know, the wow and the happy and the fun, you know, which are also important. But then there's a whole other spectrum of emotions that are maybe more true if we, you know, stop and reflect on what's happening in the world. And I think we also are like, yeah, interested in creating new illusions that this is a time where, you know, we have, well, there's not a lot of ritual spaces left, you know, in society. The stage is one of them. We walk in, in circles of mostly atheists, you know, we're in a time where we, yeah, don't as a culture hold on to mythologies as, you know, that we have, and a lot of contemporary work it has is is in this hyper realist kind of um, mode, and so I think it's also like we do need while we're not trying to enter solely entertain people now with our company's work, you know, as we were doing for so long before with Cirque, we are we are creating creating new illusions or creating entire worlds that we hope can transport people. And that's also why the audiovisual element is so important in the work we're doing. Yeah, we, we definitely have a, like, it's a, a deeply, uh, per, the goal and what we're, I feel like we're succeeding in is deeply immersive work of audiovisual, of creating an environment in a space that um, I want, we would like the audience to enter and have never experienced before. It's not that it's, foreign it's not that we're trying to be chaos but as much as it's like you enter and go i haven't seen this this is definitely a unique immersive uh deep environment that uh, transcends the stage and ideally we're keeping that from uh what we were speaking earlier where it's like it's bigger you enter a black box like at the dance center somewhere patreons have been many a time and to see something that completely makes you re-evaluate the space that you're in like treating the bodies as like the, the bodies themselves as metaphor in space, allowing them to be up at like mm-hmm. 30 feet in the air and slowly rolling or falling and descending is something that I kind of know you haven't seen at the dance center because we've had to work with the incredible Shang Yin constantly to put those points up into the ceiling. So I, there's very few works, very few companies, only one of the company that I'm aware of and very few uh, opportunities to see this environment reimagined and presenting an entire other uh, face of itself so yeah i think it's fair to say that ariosa in town julia taff as his director um, yeah most of her work though has been seen on the outside of the building yes (laughs) you know so there is you know i think i'm not speaking for her of course and her and julia carr but but that they would be 
they're, they're doing very different. Their aesthetic is very different, even if, you know, the dancers are up in the air and they've used that space quite differently, um, you know, in the building quite differently to you. And, and they have their outdoor performances and things like that. So it is very different, which is very exciting, I think, as well, because yeah. it shows that aerial, it shows the versatility of the aerial dance as well. We definitely benefited from them having those first conversations and being able to create in that space. Like they've been so generous since we moved to town and also helping us because when we had those first conversations with venues, we'd say, hey, we want to put like a bunch of dancers in the air and have them like fly and then they're going to swing and we're going to do all these crazy things. And a lot of times you can imagine from a responsibility (laughs) level or safety, people just would say no. It's very easy to say no, but the dance center was like, yeah. okay, we, we've had something like this before. We, we can, uh, we can work with you if you guys are of a level. And, uh, yeah. so that you just opening mm-hmm. a conversation made us able to do these incredible things. Yeah, absolutely. That's that kind of community thing you're talking about as well, how it kind of branches out to like, you know, kind of co-production partners or just collaborate or just people to talk to about what you're doing. I think it's amazing. Yeah, it's great. Thank you so much, both of you. It's uh, very exciting. Um, is there anything else? Well, I'm excited to see throws. I keep saying throws. Is it throw? It's throw. It is kind of that play yeah. on throws, you know, being in the throws. Uh, we kind of refer to this piece as having the the artists or the the bodies that you see in space being in the throes of survival. It's a, it's a play on throws. But the world of throw. Mm-hmm. So so I'm 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 looking forward to seeing the um premiere of it and again I feel grateful to have been in the, uh, the studio showing and part of that feedback that you you know kind of were all involved in that's uh, it was that was really wonderful. And the dancers it was great to see your dancers who I've seen in other contexts like especially Aon and Isaac, who I've seen in other contexts, in this context, which is really, really great. And, and I think that that's probably got something to do with your teaching and your coaching abilities. And I, I'm not 100% sure how much they were involved in Ariel before you two. <laughs> but I wondered if, um, for me, that segues into kind of maybe your independent work. Jeremiah, you did mention that you're teaching youth. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if you could both talk just a little bit about that, just a couple of minutes on that. Yeah, uh, I currently am over at, there's a venue called Circus West. It's in the, at the PE, and they have an incredible program they've been running for, I'm guessing, about 30 years, where they have these uh, wonderful classes for youth. They're very affordable, and they have an incredible venue because they've been, uh, they're a nonprofit that's been subsidized, and uh, you should to- absolutely, I cannot promote them enough. There's uh, plenty of space for anybody who's, any kids who are interested, like if they, if they enjoy dance, but they want to do something else if they want to like learn how to juggle unicycle aerial all these things are made available and they're they have some amazing coaches and a, truly an amazing venue right now i'm also over there in the capacity as a dance teacher as well as a tumbling coach because it was just one of those moments where covid i mean during covid they weren't able to get spotted they weren't able to be held and so what happens is that you can't really teach somebody how to do a backflip without making sure that they don't hurt themselves now there's yeah. ways you can do it but they're all terrible by comparison. So just being able to have hands on and being able to help these uh, the youth collect these skills has been amazing. The past year has been a huge amount of reward for my heart to being able to teach these youth because a lot of it has been a lot of the skills I want to teach them is either about flow and spiral. But then for the most part, with tumbling has been teaching them how to go for it, like with a, with a type of an aggression or an assertiveness that they're just like, I will do this 
resetting the sound. I loved being able to create environments for them to develop the skill, to make the choice that says, I will land this skill and to, to move with absolute certainty and, and trust and confidence. Because most of the skills I'm teaching, like you could do a backflip. But the thing is that you don't know how to do it and you don't believe that you could. So then you're not going to just throw yourself into the air. But the actual physical level to do a lot of these things is not very high. Meaning once I can get somebody to teach, to, to, to allow themselves to do something as terrifying as a backflip, then we can do anything else. Then I can say, hey, go do this other kind of crazy thing. And people are going to go, yeah, I think I can. You, yeah. Confidence. Yeah, I think I'll just add on, you know, you had mentioned our dancers and yeah, Isaac Onquist, Eamon Onquist, Brenna Metzmeyer, Alex Tam and uh, Marissa Wong are so incredible because they've taken on the challenge of learning aerial. And when we started this creation for Throw, we were wondering, you know, do we work with circus artists or do we work with dancers? And I think that you know, we decided to work with dancers because of the kind of quality of movement that we wanted to see. Not that there's not quality of movement that that circus artists have, but I think it has to do with the type of nuances in the physical expression we were looking for. And that kind of segues into what's coming next. We do, um, we're looking to start classes. We're seeking funding right now to be able to teach professional dancers uh, floor, like acrobatic dance and aerial dance. Hopefully the pilot project will allow us to, to offer these classes for free. So, you know, people who are listening, if you're interested, uh, you know, keep uh, keep an eye out because we we are hoping to do that. And then the other thing that I am simultaneously doing, you know, juggling as we all juggle uh, many roles is I am the director of programming at the Push International Performing Arts Festival, currently on maternity leave. But that's uh, been an incredible opportunity as well to immerse myself in contemporary work, you know, and I, I hope to continue to see as much as I can locally and, and internationally. It, it is an incredibly enriching opportunity. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking on that job. And <laughs> and also, yeah, and for both being here. <laughs> I think we're richer for it. And all of your experiences are just so exciting and wonderful. Like all of the scales from the nuance to the from the nuance to the largest of scales. We're all benefiting so much from your experience and you being here and uh, very, very excited about all of that. Congratulations on your new family both your throw family and your home family. <laughs> I had a moment yesterday with our cast. We were just uh, finishing up with the cat rehearsal and we had our baby on the mat and we were just like setting up like I had been with him and then Gabriel's being with him. And we we're just saying thank you to everybody and just realizing, inviting them like they really are in the, like you couldn't be more in our family energy and our environment. We have our people we trust and we're like doing contact dance with and over there we have our child safely in the same environment and it just felt very like, yeah, as much as people talk about it being like, that's like a family. It's like, you're really in the room right now with our entire family. So it's. <laughs> and speaking of, I think you might be able to hear Logue in the background. Uh, my I'm dad is just uh, humming to him to try and keep him calm. Um, so he's he's in the space. He's part of our, our lives now. Even better. So we have our music. The humming is our exit music from this interview. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for taking this time, both of you. And I look forward to talking to you again. I'm sure I will in the, in the next while. Thank you so much, Claire. Can you remind us of the show dates again? It's yeah, November 17th to 19th, the Dance Center. Yeah, we'll post things in the uh, description under the podcast as well. And um, we'll be sure to see you there. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Claire. 
Thank you so much for listening. We would love for you to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts, as this will help other listeners find us and help us to grow our dance audience. We'll be back next month. In the meantime, you can follow us on Facebook at The Dance Center, Twitter at Dance Center, and Instagram at The Dance Center BC. And if you'd like to support our work, please consider making a donation. Just go to our website at thedancecenter.ca where you'll find extensive information about our upcoming programs and events. The music for the Dance Center podcast was composed by James B. Maxwell. Always a pleasure to connect with you through dance. Until next time. Thank you.